We want to take our Bibles this morning. We want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to be getting a, a new series of messages this morning, uh, a fresh new start. And I'm going to share with you four things over the next four weeks. And I'm going to make a claim. And here's the claim. If you do what I'm asking you to do, those action plans and steps I'm going to ask you to take, you will be far, far different than you are right now. Now, let me ask, so let me ask you a question. Looking back on 2017 may have been a great year for you, maybe you know, may be a, a struggling year for you, but are you any different today than what you were a year ago? You know, we have a tendency to make all kinds of resolutions every year, and sometimes, if we're to be honest with ourselves, a lot of mine are the same ones. Why do we make resolutions, and why do we make them, and then just a few weeks later, we, we break them? Well, I think that we make them because we realize that we have not arrived. There needs to be changes that need to be going on in our life. And we break them sometimes because we don't, we're not motivated enough to really do something different in our life. It's kind of the, the road of least resistance that we're taking. Someone said that life, particularly the Christian life, is like an es- a downward escalator. And I would add a very slow one but it is going down. If we do nothing, we're just gonna remain on the step and go straight down and decline in our walk with God and everything that God wants for our life. What we have to do to go up, and anybody ever tried to climb an escalator that's going down, but you're trying to go up? Anybody besides me try to do that? You know, not when anybody's looking, <clears throat> mind you, but you know, you, you go up there and, and you're, just, you're just exhausted when you get to the top. But if you put no effort behind it, you just go down and just keep on going. Well, the, um, as we open to 1 Peter chapter 1, we realize, and let me just very quickly say, that our vision statement for our church is basically this. We're building lives that matter by leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. Now, when a lot of you read that, you automatically assume, and, and sort of rightfully so, that we're talking about leading people to Jesus because that's the burden of our church, that people would know Christ like we know him. But it also means that we're trying to grow up the believers that are not only already here, but those that will be coming in as well. We want you to be all you can be in Christ because we love you, I love you, I want you to be all you can be in Christ, and, and you wonder, well, why? Why should I be that motivated uh, to grow? Why should I? And what do I need to do to do it? And let me say this about um, the commitment card that we're going to be looking at, uh, or the action card we'll be looking at today and different cards in different, uh, different weeks. Um, I was told about this uh, diet. A lot of people tell me about diets, and I have no idea why. But anyway, uh, there, I heard about this diet called the Whole30 uh, diet. Anybody ever heard of that Whole30? Oh, several of you. Wow. Okay, well, I'll, I'll be careful here then. Um, but the Whole30 diet, I'm not recommending it, and not that I'm discouraging you at all either, but it's really a radical approach because you leave off all grains, you leave off all dairy, you leave off all sweets, you leave off all fun for a whole 30 days, 30 days, and you can't even have Diet Coke, and that lets me right out of it. But you have to leave off almost everything. But I looked up this uh, diet on the web, 
And it says, you know, the review of it, it makes really big claims. Uh, if you do this for 30 days, you're not going to crave sweets anymore. You're not going to crave grains anymore and bread anymore. And you're going to lose weight. And you're going to cleanse your system. And it's, it made this comment. That's a lot to claim in 30 days. And yet it said, I guess that's why they require so much. In fact, if you break the diet even a little bit, you have one mint. You have one piece of cheese. One bite of bread, you start the 30 days all over again. You see, because big claims sometimes require some big action plans. And so I'm, gonna make a, I'm making this claim that if you do the things that I'm asking you to do the next four weeks, even though they're basic, they're fundamental to the Christian life, if you do these things, you're going to be a person of greater impact a year from now, not only to your world, but also to yourself. You're going to be a blessing to yourself and allow God to bless you in this life. And so let's look at it. First Peter chapter one, in this chapter, in fact, in this book, Peter is writing a letter to Christians about hope. They're under persecution. Uh, he wants them to band together in brotherly love. And he's talking a little bit about uh, the Christian experience of being born again, becoming a Christian. But then he also begins to talk about how we can grow and what we need to do in growing in the Christian life. So let me just make five statements about uh, spiritual development and growth. Five things. These are not the points to the sermon. Then we're going to get into the sermon after I mention these five things. Number one, even though God has called us to grow, it is not automatic. You're just going to go down the escalator. And by the way, there's not one of those people movers that you just stand on and go straight. You're either going up, up, I'm sorry, up or down. You can't remain static. Number two, it's a process, step by step. It takes time, number three. Number four, it takes knowledge. You've got to know something about God. You've got to know something about the Christian life in order to do it. And it takes motivation. The why. That's why my first point this morning is why should we grow? Secondly, what are we doing? I mean, wh what are we growing toward? And thirdly, how do we grow? So the why, the what, and the how. Now, the how is very important because as I'm reading this book by um, Simon, I think it's called Sinek, start with the why. If people know why and fully understand a situation and why you want something accomplished in their life or why they need to do something, that's half the battle right there. If they understand the why, they will be more motivated to do it. And so why should we grow? Look in um, chapter one, beginning with verse 14. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now notice he's just simply talking about where we were in the past. We were lost. We didn't have the wisdom of God in our life. We, we were ignorant. We didn't have the knowledge of God that we needed for salvation. Verse 15, but as you were called, you as, uh, you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's out of Le the book of Leviticus of the Old Testament. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's saying, look, you need to be set apart. That's what holiness means. You need to be set apart and you need to be growing to that point of sanctification in your life. And that's just a big word to say you're growing away from sin and growing toward becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so he's telling us and setting a foundation here. But I want you to notice that he says in verse 22 in our text, 
having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. In other words, you have already been saved. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Look down in verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. In other words, the sanctification part of the salvation. So here he's saying something. Did you catch it? He says in verse 14, children. In verse 2. Or in verse 23, he's saying, be born again. In verse 2, we're like newborn babies. Now, before you get a little insulted by what the Bible's saying here, keep in mind, all of us, at some point or another, have been newborn babies in Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about the imperishable seed, and we'll get to that, come back to that in just a moment, coming, uh, Jesus Christ coming into our heart, and it's a supernatural experience. It's not just that you're making a commitment. It's not just that, hey, I'm going to start following God or following Christ. It's a supernatural born again, because born again means to be born from above. And so this is a supernatural experience, and the very time that Christ comes into your heart, you're like a newborn baby, and it compares that, that c- compares us as a newborn Christian to a newborn baby coming into the world. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it at all. Everybody that's a new believer is like an infant in Christ. But no one needs to desire to stay an infant. For example, what are some of the characteristics, by the way, of being um, an infant? Well, you're immature, right? You're immature. You have unstable emotions going on in your life. You know, you, you can see an infant and they're crying. I mean, they're just coming apart. They, they don't have enough sleep. They want some food. They want something from you. You know, the, the situation around them is not safe. They, they don't feel secure. And they're crying and crying and crying. And you say, hey, you want a cookie? Yeah. That's all it takes. All of a sudden, the tears evaporate. Maybe they're soaked up into the skin. I don't know where they go. Their eyes clear out. They're just unstable emotionally. And that's the way a new believer is as well. Their emotions are up one day, down the next. Up, depressed. Up, depressed. I can do it. I can't do it. God's everything to me. Uh, Oh, God, where are you? Up and down. No one wants to remain that way. Selfish is another characteristic of being a baby. Now, there's no question babies are precious. Babies are wonderful. I, I, have, um, I, had three, I have three children, six grandchildren, and they've all been wonderful. However, they interrupt you all the time. They want something all the time. They cry at the most unusual times. In fact, really, they're kind of manipulating you a little bit. And they can't see others' point of view at all. Hey, give something to your sister. Give something to your brother. Why should I give up what's mine? You know, this is mine. Can't see from the other point of view. And so how does that hold with a Christian? Well, I want maybe my way in the family. I want my way in the church. Uh, You know, the the church just not, oh, they're just not meeting my needs. Or um, I'm taking up a defense for someone else. Or I hold a grudge against someone else. These are all characteristics of being an infant. Infants are unwise. They make bad decisions. My brother, when he was just very, very small, we were over at our grandmother's house, and my brother drank some, um, I don't think it was Drano, but it was something that was very poisonous that was under the sink, some detergent. And we had to rush him to the hospital. 
So, well, my goodness, why didn't your grandmother have some kind of rubber bands or some kind of safety things? You need to understand my grandmother's house. They didn't have any paint on the outside and no indoor plumbing. I mean, it was one of those outhouse type houses. And so he, he made an unwise decision. If you let children grow, go, they'll just go out into the street. They don't know how to discern how to make right decisions. Some of you Young people here are going to be making decisions about college. You're going to be making decisions about marriage. You're going to be making decisions about having children and where to move and what to do. How are you going to have the wisdom of God in your life if you're still the infant? Some of you that are thinking about transferring maybe to a new place or coming here and transferring here, and you're just sort of checking out the churches. How are you going to make wise decisions in your life? Then we find that children... Uh, little babies are gullible. They'll, they'll believe pretty much anything. Now, I'm going to talk in code here, all right? I'm not going to explain anything. I don't want to get in trouble with any young people or, or um, parents. But children tend to believe there's these fictitious characters at Christmas and Easter. And, of course, if you get a tooth pulled, you can put it under the pillow. And what's it worth now, 20 bucks? It used to be a quarter. You know, wait a minute, $20, $30, how much you want, yeah. So you, you've got all these, because children tend to believe, they're very trusting, especially of those that they trust and they love, and so they're gullible. Now, we see this among infant Christians all the time. They mean well. In fact, they're on fire sometimes. Baby Christians sometimes are on fire for Jesus. Praise God. But... They look at somebody else in their small group and say, well, you're just as not on fire as I am. There's something wrong with your life. You're just not as passionate as I am. Or they run across the latest book and they, oh, this is the, the guy. And pastor, I, I heard this guy on the internet preaching. He's a lot better than you. And he's a lot, you know, right off the bat, I know they're a baby Christian right there, but no. Um, <laughs> He's a lot better than you. In fact, he's a lot smarter than you. I mean, you, you don't agree with his doctrine, so you must be wrong because they become, they become so infatuated with the teacher. These are all things, and do you really want to be that way? Well, no. You want to have a maturing process going on in your life. But there's another reason why you and I need to grow, and that is we have a coping to do. The Bible tells us that there are two ways that we grow. And we'll come back to this again on, on point number three. But there's two ways, outward pressure, inward pressure. Let me just say, the outward pressure are trials and adversities in our life. They bring about character building and growth in our life. Now, how are we going to deal with that? How are we going to deal with that? Unless we are maturing as a believer. Here's what. First Peter says in chapter 1, give you a little background. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Anybody here been through a trial? I know I have, many. In fact, I'm either going into a trial, in a trial, or going toward one, it seems like. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it be tested by fire, may be found and result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's already talked about this. How are we, we cannot manipulate the trials and adversities in our life. There's no way that I can talk you through this morning every single trial you're going to face, but I can give you the tools to prepare 
for the coping in those trials. Number three, you know, all of us, I hope, and I think most of us really want to produce in this life. We want to make a difference producing, not only maturing, we want to, we want to grow to mature, we want to grow to cope, but we also want to grow to produce. The Bible teaches us about the fruit in our life. And what that means is the growth in our life, the, the production in our life. When the Holy Spirit of God is working in our life, we bear, we bear fruit on the tree. There's two different types. One is the inward stuff uh, call, called the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. We need those things in our life. We're not going to have those things consistently in our life as a non-growing believer who's going down the escalator, a baby Christian, or even a younger, younger uh, Christian. And so we need that kind of fruit in our life. We, we want the freedom of sin. That's another fruit in our life. The reason that the Bible even lists out some sins sometimes and the attitudes is because all these things hurt us. They hurt us. Anytime we're involved in any kind of sin, any kind of habit, it, it's destroying the inner fiber of our moral being as well as affecting our relationships and everything around us. Second Peter 1.4 says, by which we have been granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature. Christ's DNA, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. When we are saved, we, have, we begin to have Christ, or we at that point receive the DNA, it says, the nature of Christ in our life. And then, of course, the fruit of, of Christian is, is really another Christian. It's ministry, ministry that we'll be talking about in weeks ahead. And so you have an impact on those around you. And so we see the three reasons why, why we need to desire to grow and be motivated. We need to mature. We need to cope. And we need production, fruit in our life. But then I want us to see what we're growing toward. That's only fair, right? If I'm going down the escalator and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to fight my way up the escalator, when I get to the next floor, what, what, what am I going to expect to have? Well, we see the background, beginning in verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. You've been saved. Okay, that's very important. That's what he's talked about in this passage thus far. A sincere brotherly love. Then in verse 23, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He says we've been born again. Why have we been born again? Because before we were saved, born again, we were lost, separated from God. God was beyond us. He says in verse 14, he says, the passions of your former ignorance. And so God says, look, here's your condition. You are lost without Christ. Now, an imperishable seed has come into your heart. John, in his gospel, explains it this way. Nevertheless, in fact, these are the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For when I go away, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him 
to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will deceive, declare rather to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So let's just put this together. What happens to you at salvation? An imperishable seed comes into your heart, and you receive the Holy Spirit, the helper. He comes into your heart and gives you the DNA, the nature of Jesus Christ in your heart. Now, this is very important because we're not saying that being born again means that you polish up what you already have. That's the problem with the church today. Part of it is that we feel like, as C.S. Lewis has said in times past, we feel like the religious person feels like Christ is there to make nice people nicer. Doesn't think about the fact that you may take somebody out of prostitution, someone out of, off the street, someone out of jail, and suddenly they have this born-again experience. The DNA of Christ comes into them, and they're changed totally. Because you and I, many of you, rejoice when you see that. And many of you might say, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know. Look at their background. Look at this. I don't want my kids hanging out with those, those people. Why? Because deep down, there's a little small area of our life that at least think, you think to yourself, really, Christianity is just to make you nicer. And that's the reason sometimes when we're in a church like ourselves and we think to ourselves, well, yeah, what are you doing for the community? That's a good question. And I rejoice, and let me just say, maybe in your bulletin, I'm not really sure, but because of the Christmas Eve offering, we were able to give away over 5,100 meals to the homeless. Isn't that great? 5,100 plus because of your, your generosity. So we believe in doing that. But more than that, we have to think on an eternal basis. What's gonna happen to that homeless person when they die? What's gonna happen to the person with a home when they die? What's going to happen to someone in Oviedo when they die? What's going to happen to somebody in Winter Springs, in Casper, in Chuliota? What's going to happen to someone overseas? And the Bible teaches us here that this imperishable seed comes into the heart and we are born again. But it doesn't stop there. He keeps talking about the holiness, the sanctification. He says about the salvation as though, in verse 2 of chapter 2, you may grow up into salvation as though you're earning your salvation. It's not talking about a conversion, born-again experience there. He's moving on. The whole passage is about growing in Christ. Look, this is what's happened to you. Now, where are you going? And the answer in this book and in other books as well is this verse, Romans 8, 29, where Paul, writing to the letter, a letter to the church at Rome, same, uh, says this, for those whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Let's just uh, keep that verse up for just a moment. For those he foreknew, that is, he knew they would be saved. God has that foreknowledge. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. He has that foreknowledge to know who is going to be born again and who's not. And so those he did foreknow, he predestined. Now, oftentimes we think about predestination as being a word that talks about a salvation experience. Election, the word election is about salvation. The word predestined is almost always, if not always, used 
about a person that's already a believer. And so he's saying this, this word means to pre-plan. God has pre-planned them to be conformed, that is changed over to look like Jesus and the image of his son. To have that kind of DNA that's growing. So God's will for your life is to look like Jesus. It's not looking like a force. You're not moving toward a force. You're not moving toward a religion. You're not moving toward a, a, a book that has some rules and regulations. Look to Jesus. You're looking at Jesus Christ in his life. He said, that's who I need to be, both the loving end of it and the discerning end of it. In fact, he's a, he was a man of strength with grace. He was a man of humility with confidence, a man of conviction with mercy, power with wisdom, and integrity without legalism. God's plan is for us to look like Jesus. Now, that's God's plan for us whether we cooperate with it or not. That's God's plan. So how do we cooperate? What do we do in closing? How do you do it? How do you grow? As I mentioned, there's two things that happen. One is the outward pressure that God uses trials in our life in order to make us more like Christ. Romans 5, Paul really gives sort of his, his answer to this. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. You need endurance in the Christian life. You just don't need to quit. You need to keep on climbing. And endurance produces character. As you're enduring, your character changes. Your life on the inside begins to change. And character produces hope. Now, here's the problem with outward pressure. You can't control it. I can't say, well, you know, everybody come up here today and, and give me your outward pressure today, and I can teach you how to cope with it. I would have to know a lot about what's happening as a trial in life. However, you can be prepared. You can be prepared in your heart because the other inward pressure, pressure is organic. It's, it's growing from the inside. Now, when I speak about uh, being organic, there's a couple ways you can grow something. You can have a rock, and then another rock, and then another rock, and a big pile of rocks. And the pile of rocks are growing, but the rock themselves are not growing. That's not organic growth. Organic growth is like a plant. You, you plant the seed, uh, plant the acorn, and it grows up into a tree. And it just keeps on growing and keeps on growing. And it takes a long time for it to get big, maybe, maybe 15 or 20 years to really fully grow itself. But it's organic. It's coming from the inside and it's growing within itself. And so what does the Holy Spirit, once he comes into our heart, gives us the DNA, what does he use to grow us organically? I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to close. And we're going to look at the, the blue card today. Number one, the work of the Word of God. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy when he's writing this letter to his son in the faith. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, training in righteousness. The Word of God is like well, look, look at what the Bible says here. Look in chapter 2 and verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. The Bible speaks to the words so strongly in verse um, 24 and 25. He says, all the grass is temporary. In fact, the world is temporary. That's what he's saying. 
but the word of the Lord remains forever. Boy, that's strong. So we have something that's eternal that'll never go away, even in heaven. We have something that is, the Bible says, as powerful as a two-edged sword. But the Bible also says this word is God-breathed into our life. Now, you can say, well, I really don't believe it. Let me just say this. I know this seems radical, and I mean it too. And I've come to this conclusion, and just in the last few years, if the Word of God is not perfect, if the Word of God does not instruct us perfectly, if the Word of God, we call it inerrant, without error, it, you know, God has not breathed error, if it's not that, then God somehow has chosen not to give us instruction in life. And what I mean by that is this. If you have a car manual, and some of the car manual is good and some of it has errors, you're not going to use the car manual because you don't know where the errors are and where it's not. And so God has purposely given us something very sloppy. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. So God's not powerful enough or he's not loving enough to give us a perfect Bible that if we, if we obey it, God's going to ble really bless our life. He, if he hasn't done that, then I'm going to say to you, God is not sovereign. Okay? He's a deist God. He's wound up the world. He's taken off, and every once in a while he comes by and answers a prayer. I know that's a pretty bold statement, but that's just the way it is. If God, you say, well, well how do you know then the Bible's word of God? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Well, what is the difference does that make? That was the miracle of all miracles. You just work your way backwards like a domino effect. If he rose again on the third day, that means he died on the cross because he loved us, because he wanted to be an integral part of our life, because we meant more to him than even his own life. Amen. And he died there and spilt his blood on the cross because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his grace. And you work your way backwards, and now all of a sudden, okay, I died for you, I rose again on the third day, but you, hey, you can live any way you want, and you'll be all right. No, you wouldn't treat your children that way. He's not treating his children that way. The word of God sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? There's some of you here that maybe some young people, some college students, you think, wow, I would love to be mentored by this certain professor. Some of you in the business world, you could pick out somebody right now that's on the news maybe all the time. You say, wow, it'd be great to be mentored in business by, by that guy. Listen, we have the opportunity through the word of God to be mentored personally by the son of God. That's huge. Somebody says, well, you know, I'm, I know it's the word of God. I just don't have time to read it. Think about just a moment. If you took 30 minutes a day, for some of you that would be a, a big chunk, but 30 minutes a day to read the Bible, out of 168 hours in the week, that'd be 2% of your life reading the word that's gonna give you wisdom. Gotta make some decisions. Where you're gonna go, what you're gonna do. How are you gonna do that? The Bible tells us that it gives us wisdom, it gives us direction. You've got a word that gives you conviction, direction. It changes our life. How does it change our life? Because it rubs us the wrong way. 
The problem we have with the Bible is that it teaches things sometimes that we just don't want to acknowledge that's true. Even some pastors now are getting up and saying, oh, that, that uh, whole thing, whole sin's not even in the Bible. It's not even, it's not even a sin. It's right there. How can you miss that? But what they're saying is, look, I'm going to take part of the Bible and the parts that I can either agree with or at least live with, but not the other parts. Listen, when you listen very, very carefully, you miss everything else I've said. Don't miss this. If you try to change the Bible, the Bible will never be able to change you. Why? It has to rub us the wrong way. When it rubs us the wrong way, we know there needs to be a conviction. There need, needs to be a change. There needs to be something altered in our life in order to be more like Jesus Christ. If we just go along in life and say, hey, you know, I don't like that part about it. It rubs me the wrong way. I'm just going to keep on going. We're going down the escalator at a pretty rapid pace. And so the Bible gives us these changes in our life, moves us. So faith, it says, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Probably the best thing of all in my life that the Bible gives me is faith. And I've come to realize that our faith in God is probably the most important thing about us. It's what gives us the endurance. It's what gives us weighing the, the, the circumstances and the adversities of life versus the promises of God. Faith is what just keeps us going. Faith is what gives us hope. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Bible, the word of Christ. You've got to get it in your life. But then the work of relationship. This passage is about brotherly love. It even says that in verse 22. So a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It's about relationship, a relationship with God. Because certainly reading the Bible ought to move me to pray. And a relationship with others because the Bible tells us Iron sharpens iron, so one, so one man sharpens another. Listen, you just, you just can't see yourself. You can't grow without other people. You can't grow without coming to church. I might even add small groups as well. You, you can't because you're not feeling the worship, but you're also not getting the feedback from other people. Some of you have experienced this before. You've looked, maybe you've been on a camera for a little while or somebody taking a little video of you. And, or a picture, and you, you look at your friend and say, I don't look like that. And if your friend's really a friend, they'll turn to you and say, yes, you really do. Somebody point out things in your life. When my, my wife and I first got married, you know, I can remember her looking at me and on the way to church or getting ready for church. So you, you're going to wear that? <laughs> Why? Well, what's wrong with this suit? Well, the collar is this wide, and now that's gone out about five years ago. It, you know, well, I was poor, did what I could, so I just got scissors. No, no, kidding. <laughs> but somebody to point out something to you. Do you need those people around you? Down that escalator, someone to reach out and pull you back in. But lastly, you need the word or the work. Of obedience, verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Obeying the word. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do you take, you know, the Bible, again, is compared to milk, other places to meat. You take a piece of meat, you put it on the grill, and you grill it to your satisfaction. 
Then you take it off after cooking it and chop it up. And you eat it. And then once you eat it, you may get rid of a lot of it, but I promise you this. Some of that meat will stick to you. That's what obedience is all about to the Word. It changes you on the inside. You take the Word of God, take a message, take reading the Bible, and a lot of it will just go right over your head. Some of it, boom, you just lose it. But a small percentage of it becomes part of you because you obey it. James puts it this way. Don't be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, he says, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently, his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once, at once forgets what manner of man he was like. Now, th- here's a picture of that passage. A man g- gets up in the morning, he goes and looks in the mirror, and his hair is everywhere from how he slept. I mean, it's going every direction. He obviously needs a shave. And he looks and he says, man, I look terrible. And I've got all these big time meetings today, very important. Well, he goes off, puts on his clothes, and he just forgets all about getting cleaned up. And he goes out into the world with his hair going every direction, a five o'clock beard already or more. And he just forgets what he's really like. And that's why it's important to take the word of God, to cut it up, and to actually make it a part of your life. We're going down the escalator. I don't want you to go that way. But if you relax, you just kind of do what you're going to do, that's what's going to happen. And when you begin, begin to grow, and that's the reason I say a year from now, not a day from now, not a week from now, but a year from now, you're going to be different in a positive way. You're going to be able to cope with trials in your life like you haven't been before. You're going to be able, you're going to be mature, and people are going to notice the difference. You're going to have an impact on other people's lives. Why do I say a whole year? To cover myself because I know spiritual development is gradual. The old pastor from England, G. Campbell Morgan, tells a story about going to visit um, a man, a friend, at a grave that he had not visited the grave in 20 years. And he visited the grave, and an oak tree, an acorn, had somehow got into the the grave, or maybe below the casket, and began to grow, and came up through the stone that was over it, split the stone, split the rock, came up, and now was a gigantic oak tree right in the grave of his friend. Just cracked the stone, splintered it, just exploded it. Over time, you may have some lids on your life right now, some stones, but God has planted a seed, an imperishable seed beneath you if you'll let it grow. In order to grow, it has to be intentional, planned, effort. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.